The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Uh, we are going to pick up in the book of Matthew. If you guys have your Bible, we're going to have the verses on the screen. If you don't, um, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, we, we generally have free ones around here somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where they are, but um, we, uh, we're going to turn to the book of Matthew, and we are going to pick up the second half of chapter one. So we are uh, going from the genealogy here down into Joseph's life. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read our verses, read this passage we're going to be looking at, and then I'm going to pray for us, and um, we're going to look at this together. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. He will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and you will and he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Fathers, we look at your word, and we are grateful for your mercy meeting us this morning. We ask that you would give us your spirit and rest on us and awaken our hearts to submit to Christ, who comes to us in unexpected ways, Lord, but you change us by your presence with us. And so as you came and dwelt among us and are God with us in Jesus, we ask that by your spirit you would be God with us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So tragedy struck this last week um, in Deerfield. I don't know if you guys saw this in the news. Deerfield had a massive tragedy hit them. Uh, The police put on Facebook, this is not a joke or a game. We're very upset about someone choosing to to ruin the fun for Deerfield's children. Deerfield has a life-size elf on the shelf, Zippy, and somebody had taken Zippy and they were desperately searching for Zippy's return. And here is Zippy upon return. <laughs> I, I didn't, I mean, I really didn't know that Zippy existed, but Zippy was returned a little bit wet, but he was returned a couple days later. Um, but this is a part of kind of the holiday season that we are in, right? We have these kind of, kind of sentimental stuff. Just, we can take that down just so everybody's not distracted by seeing Zippy, the life-size elf. Um, <laughs> But we can get distracted by all these dynamics of crazy life, life-size elf on the shelf, the sentimentality of kind of holiday stuff. I mean, we are totally into it. The moment Thanksgiving dinner is done, we throw elf uh, with, uh, you know, the movie Elf. I'm talking about, we throw that. That's like how we begin Christmas, and we watch all the movies, and we do all the tr- traditions and stuff like that. But the traditions of Christmas can sometimes. Um, at times be like a gloss over or they can feel like a gloss over the harsh realities of Christmas, right? This is a time of the year where a lot of people are facing um, 
the, the broken and the desperate parts of life that they feel are unresolved. They're reminded of all the family tragedies. They're reminded of people who aren't with them, that, are, that were with them previously. They're reminded of the desperate and dark parts of the season. And sometimes these kind of silly things like Zippy and Christmas movies can feel like uh, Christmas is more about those things than about the hard realities of life, as though the hard realities of life are an inconvenience to Christmas. Um, but actually, in the passage that we're looking at tonight, we are, or this morning, sorry, I get so used to saying tonight that now I'm going to have to reprogram my brain to say this morning. But as we're looking at this this morning, this actually, this passage takes us into the uncomfortable, the unresolved, the tension, the fear, panic, desperation that we all feel at times. Um, that's actually at the core of what the Christmas season is all about. Um, because here we are, we are picking up right after the Old Testament's all done, right? We just looked at the first 17 verses of Matthew, and that's, you know, what, 3,000 years of Old Testament history all summed up in 17 verses, and then God is quiet for 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. Uh, He's quiet for 400 years, and you've got all this political upheaval going on. You've got um, Judas the Hammer (laughs) doing all this stuff politically, and it's a lot of unrest. If you think that Israel is unrest and unrest now, it was just the same back then. And amidst all of that tension and turmoil and unrest, here we get dropped into one man's nighttime dream in the middle of the night considering, what do I do about this relational drama? Right. After all, this, all these eons of God's history with his people, the first uh, person that we run into is in relational turmoil. I mean, don't you find that a little bit comforting that Christmas is all uh, at, on one level surfacy and then on one level very challenging. And here as we run into Christmas, Joseph has run into, we run into Joseph, all this relational drama of what's going on. And at the heart of this uh, relational drama, we get thrown into this uh, old, we get ancient promises from Isaiah Right, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Maybe this stuff seems very familiar, but as we're looking at this stuff, um, God is dwelling with us in unexpected ways. Right, He is entering into the relational drama, the unresolved issues, the pain and the turmoil. He is entering into those dynamics. He actually is a part of causing some of that stuff in this story. And yet the, we see in Joseph this example, and that's what part of what we're going to be looking at is seeing how Joseph responds to these situations to prompt us to see that God is dwelling with us and calling us to submit to our Savior who unexpectedly changes us by dwelling among us. Right? God, God deeply loves us and cares about us, and he enters in. That's at the core of what this passage is all about. God dwells among us. He enters in. All that stuff, the problems that don't seem to be resolved, God comes in and dwells among us, and he changes us by his unexpected presence. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage in four parts, and we're going to be looking at how God's God's dwelling among us causes deep effects. And so the first thing we're going to be looking at is uh, verse 18 and 19. He dwells among deep tensions. So verses 18 and 19. Now the the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Um, I think anybody who reads this uh, can, if you were to imagine yourself, you got to slow down and kind of put yourself in the story, and you can realize uh, this is not 
a very comfortable situation, right? This is not like, hey, this is a great, let's all sit down for Christmas dinner situation, right? Imagine, I mean, you've got a woman who's betrothed, who's engaged to get married to Joseph. They're an engaged couple, and um, she's found found out to be, uh, she's got a child on the way, and it's not his. Anybody who reads that realizes, like, oh, it's a little awkward, <laughs> right? You can imagine, on the one side, like, what's, Mary, like, what's Joseph's side of the story, right? Joseph, he's been, you know, they probably grew up together. Nazareth was probably about 300 people. It was not, I mean, we're talking like ultra small town. I mean, if you've ever grown up, I mean, New Hampshire is full of small, you know, small town drama, right? I mean, some towns in New Hampshire are like, what, like 15 people in a stop sign at the most, and they still have a Dunkin' Donuts. But, uh, you know, New Hampshire, I mean, we got small towns all over the place. You can imagine what was going on in this story, right? Joseph grew up with her. They knew, they knew each other. It was probably, you know, like, there's Joseph and Mary, right? They're going to get married someday. Like, it, they just knew it was going to happen. Uh, and Joseph, not exactly the most well-off guy, carpenter, right? I mean, it's a blue, I mean, it very, feels very familiar to what we're, our lives. A carpenter, blue-collar guy, making a living, getting, finally gets enough money together. We're going to get married. And then um, this news comes through, right? And you can imagine... Matthew's story is more of uh, Joseph's side of the story, and Luke's side of the story kind of comes alongside it, right? Mary's side of the story is like, yay, you know, any young woman looking forward to her wedding day, looking forward to getting married, and then this angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, um, here's a little bit of some update on how things are going to go down. Um, God's chosen you of all people, and uh, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, well, I know how that happens, and nothing relating to that happening is happening right now, and so how's that going to happen? And then she's like, okay, how do I, how do I communicate? Can you imagine, like, for Mary, what this would have been like? Hey, Joseph, I know this is going to sound incredible, but it's legitimately the truth. An angel showed up <laughs> and said, God's going to make a baby, in my womb, and I'm going to carry this baby. <laughs> I mean, right? We have trouble believing in UFOs, right? You can imagine this is probably in that range of like Joseph. I don't know how to tell this to you. Actually, I was going to try to find um, at our at our former church, our our lead pastor. He wrote a poem imagining this situation of them writing letters back and forth to each other. And it was, I'm, I'll find it and I'll I'll send it out to you guys when I get the audio or the video of it. But imagine her trying to explain what has happened, and then for him to have explained. And then how do they, it, 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 you know, it says uh, she was found to be with child. Okay, was that um, her mom discovering things and then relaying that to Joseph's mom, then Joseph's mom had to tell Joseph. I, what was, you see the tension that's going on here, right? This is not an incredibly comfortable situation. But I find fascinating, Joseph's response, right? Verse 19, and her husband Joseph being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. At the time, what that meant is that, so like when, we, when people get engaged today, um, if things don't go well, and like the day before or the day of, you can still like, you know, here's the ring back, we're going to not be engaged anymore and kind of walk away. But when in their time, when you got engaged, it was basically like, uh, it was a contract. And you were basically, we're lined up, this is all going to happen, and there's serious penalties. Like, you actually have to go through, like, divorce court to get divorced, to, to break off the engagement. It's much more serious. And so that's what it's referring to here. He could have done that in a public way, and he could have shamed her in a public way, but he decided, no, I don't know all the details of what's going on here. 
Uh, this doesn't quite line up with the Mary that I know, but we're, we're going to take care of this in a way that um, she's going to be able to kind of go off and do her thing, and I'm going to kind of go off and do my thing without there being a huge deal. It's, uh, I find it fascinating that Joseph, who could have been very harsh, and rightfully so, right, his response is to be merciful. Right? He doesn't know all the details. He doesn't know everything that's going on. Yes, he has rights, but his response is to be merciful. He can't... Um, God's presence, but the fascinating thing is here, he's kind of the third character in this whole story. You have Joseph and you have Mary. But Joseph, God's the one who's shown up, right? The Holy, he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is, this is God's doing. All this relational tension... God's the one actually causing it. Have you ever thought about that? Like, all the tension that would have been happening between Joseph and Mary, all the, like, hurt feelings, the sense of betrayal. Actually, God was the one who was stepping into the story and writing a new story. I don't know if you ever feel like, hey, God, do you know what's going on <laughs> with all the tension going on in my family? Do you guys know, God, do you know what's going on in my marriage? Do you know what's going on at work? Do you know what's going on? And what I'm not saying is, well, God's the one causing all that. But God is in the story. And all the tension of our lives that we don't understand what's going on, all the deep realities. I don't know why, but for whatever reason for me, whenever I'm shoveling snow, all of the unresolved just injustices of my life begin to play through my head. I don't know what you guys are like, but that's what I think about when I'm shoveling snow. So if you ever see with headphones on, it's because I'm trying to put good music into my brain so that I'm thinking about good things. But all the unresolved tensions, there's actually a third person, right? Between us and the other person, there's actually a third person in the equation. And in these deep tensions, God is the one who's showing up. And actually, for their story, God's the one causing it for good. And I would wonder for your story. God is the one stepping in. He is the one causing these deep realities to our struggles with. And part of the, the ways in which we can follow Joseph's example in this story, what does Joseph do? I don't know the full picture. I don't know exactly what's going on here. But I'm going to respond with compassion and mercy. Right, whenever we get slighted, Whenever we get people who uh, we don't quite understand um, what their problem is but, and why they keep doing the same thing that they're doing, whether it's your landlord or your spouse or your brothers or sisters or your work, why it's just like a totally like, I don't understand what's going on here. Joseph's response, I think, is a, is a commendable example for us of what in the deep tensions of life, God's present, I don't know the full picture. So let me respond with mercy and compassion. How can I respond so that they get the better end of the deal? How do I respond so that they are upheld and protected and strengthened? Right? That's what Joseph does for Mary. <laughs> upheld, protected, strengthened, even in a difficult situation. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Right? God uh, continues to move. And so Joseph, we're going to pick up in verse 20. Joseph, who is still unresolved, there are some fears going on. So God dwells among deep fears, or he dwells among deep fears. Verses 20 and 21, right here we drop in. As he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
right here. Joseph is, we're talking about how Joseph had resolved to divorce her, but he was still kind of like wavering, like, what do I do? You know, so there was a bit of some indecisiveness. And in the middle of his indecisiveness, an angel drops in. And when the Bible says an angel, I don't want you to think of like the precious moments angels, right? Like the little like cute babies that, I'm not saying that you want to punch them, but they look, you know, like it's like the cute little babies that are just like little cute, you know, it's not really babies. I'm not saying punch babies. But I just, there's little things, like that's not an angel. <laughs> that thing, an angel is like a terrifying monument, like size of a mountain creature, right? Every time there's somebody in the Bible engages with an angel, right? They're like left with like adult diapers and like trembling on the floor. Like they are just, it is not like they, they are totally petrified. Actually, the apostle John, who saw Jesus resurrected from the grave, which you think would be the greatest thing you'd ever seen. The apostle John at the end of the Bible, he's talking, the, the book of Revelation, twice in that book, he wants to fall down and worship an angel. So they were such, they're so incredible creatures that they just inspire incredible awe and, tre- and, and trembling in, in, in people. I don't know if you guys remember that, that moment in the Lord of the Rings where um, uh, queen, uh, the queen of Lothlorien, she's like transfigured in front of Frodo. It's like, I'll be awesome and terrible. And people will tremble and despair in front of me. Like that sort of thing where she's so beautiful and yet like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. So that, imagine that moment dropped into Joseph's uh, nighttime slumbers. <laughs> it is, that is how Joseph is engaging this reality, right? This is such a deep reality that Joseph has to have an angel of the Lord come from the presence of God to say, listen, here's the deal. Don't be afraid. Mary, it's not what it seems, right? Jesus is conceived, this, this child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. But I think it's interesting, right? The, the angel says, um, Joseph, son of Derry, uh, son, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. What would Joseph have feared, right? What were the fears that would have been plaguing Joseph in the middle of the night as you would have been thinking about this stuff, right? Well, I mean, first off, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, uh, public perception, right? Um, she's pregnant before the wedding. That, I mean, you're a small town. I mean, you know how the small town politics go, right? <coughs> what would people be thinking? Right, the second thing, uh, apart from this angel showing up, you could imagine Joseph's fear, can I ever trust her again? <laughs> I mean, let's just talk about the realities of life, right? I don't know the full story here. She's saying one thing, and that doesn't quite add up with the equation at hand. Can I ever trust her again? Third thing, um, the reality is that if this was going to be a boy and Joseph was a carpenter, uh, that boy would have inherited his entire business. And so here, it's an unnatural, it's not his son, his physical son, that would have been inheriting his whole family business. So how long, however long his family had been accruing you know, their trade and skill and wealth would have been going to somebody that wasn't physically his son. I mean, that's a fear, right? Because what if that guy's dad shows up and then his dad takes over the family? So you can understand, like, this is, this is not just kind of like a relational thing. This is like a, a business thing. Like, what do I do with my family? Am I providing for my my family and my business? Um, and then fourthly, speaking of family, the family name, right? <laughs> the family name would have been defined by this forever. For, you know, you can imagine, I remember, you know, Grandma Mary, you know, Uncle Jesus before they were married. And just, I mean, 
so these are the sort of things that would have been plaguing Joseph's brain as he's thinking about this. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Right? For what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What the angel is alluding to here is actually, um, he's basically beginning to kind of tip his cards, right? This guy's the Messiah. And remember when I was mentioning all that intertestamental stuff? The Judah, the hammer, or all that stuff. At the time, the, the expect, expectation was that the Messiah was going to come and bring political refuge, political salvation. Everything's going to get solved. All those dirty Romans, they're going to get out of God's promised land, and God's people are going to be able to worship at their temple and be totally free from all these pagan influences. Right? The, the, so you could imagine for Joseph, there's a bit of like, if you, if you feel like political conversations are a little bit awkward sometimes now, <laughs> here he would have, look, my, I'm going to be the one who's, uh, our kid's going to be uh, the one who's going to come and it's going to be political salvation. Like, what, am I going to survive that? Because, uh, I don't know, maybe I could die. It's, uh, there, so there's a lot of fears going on. Joseph, I think, is struggling with the what-ifs of life. That's what we do all the time, right? We do the what-ifs of life. What if this never resolves? What if the cancer doesn't go away? What if my job never changes? What if, what if, what if, right? Imagining, even though Joseph was a faithful guy, he was effectively imagining a world without God. That's what we do when we're fearful and, anxi- and full of anxiety. We're imagining a world without God, a future without God. And I think that at a certain level, Joseph was, even though he was trying to be faithful, he was imagining a reality without God. But at the core of that, do you see here at the end of verse 21? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Right? See, the purpose of this son that's coming is not is not to save, is not a political refuge. He's to come to deal with the, the deep rot of their lives, the deep rot of our souls. He's coming not to deal with the fears the what-ifs, he's actually coming to deal with the heart that dwells on the what-ifs, right? God, God is save, sending Jesus so that the heart that dwells on all these what-ifs is actually changed into a heart that dwells on Jesus himself because the sin of our souls is what causes us to deal, dwell on those what-ifs. The, the what-ifs of, will my future ever change? Will my job ever change? Will my kids ever be different? Will my kids ever be better? Will my family ever get better? Will the cancer go away? Will I ever have enough money? Will the struggle ever end, the what-ifs, those come from a heart that does not trust God. But God loves us, and so he sends his son to die in our place so that our souls, so that our hearts, which dwell on all these things apart from Jesus, apart from God, he comes and says, no, I'm going to send a savior, not to deal with your circumstances. Your circumstances will be get, get, get dealt with, but to dwell with your heart, to change your heart. See, so as these deep fears are coming to the surface, we can relate with Joseph, but actually they're the context for showing, no, Jesus, is, I'm sending a Savior to come and deal with the sin that separates us from God. He's coming to do all the inner reality of our lives. Right, I don't know if you guys ever... It, it seems like it's happening all the time now with all these allegations going on publicly. Um, and it goes on in the Christian church as well. I, I, whenever I hear these stories, 
of, guy, of pastors who fall away for one thing or another. Here's how I process those things. I don't think, man, what was up with that guy? I think, man, I, the same, same things that he was dwelling with, same struggles that he has. I've got the makeup to do the same things, make the same decisions. Right, those are the, the fears and deep sin of our lives. We all have the makeup to be the, the, the worst people that we see on TV or in our streets. But Jesus is coming not to be a political savior, to change the circumstances. He's coming to save his people from their sins. To come down into the deep realities of our hearts and our lives. And to lift us out by taking the dirt on himself. So that his goodness and holiness can be given over to us. Washed on us. That's the deep, the deep reality that he's coming to address. And he does that by fulfilling his promises. So we're going to pick up at verse 22. He dwells among deep promises. So here Matthew breaks from the story, but he gives us some commentary. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This probably sounds very familiar. This is at the heart of the Christmas story, right? Virgin Mary conceives, but it is fulfilling it is God dwelling among his people to, for, to fulfill the deep promises, these ancient promises that he made. Isaiah, these all are, are coming from Isaiah, and yet at the same time, notice what he's saying here, right? Uh, by, uh, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. These are, these are God's words. These are God's promises. They're not just God's promises that are made like Hallmark cards, and then God says, oh, that's a good idea. I'll use that. These are what God said long ago, by Isaiah, this is, so this is probably about a 700-year difference, right? He would have promised Isaiah, say this. Isaiah says it 700 years ago, and then he's fulfilling it now. And in view, he has, um, I, these are not just kind of like Old Testament prophecies that were kind of like totally irrelevant for the people at the time. When he made them in the book of Isaiah, uh, they would have translated in a certain way. So uh, let's throw up the first verse here. So Isaiah 7 uh, 14 is the original one. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So that's Isaiah 7:14. And when Isaiah said that, he was saying it to King Uriah, which is mentioned earlier in the genealogy of Matthew. He would have been saying that to Uriah, and Uriah would have understood, okay, um, we're going to have a baby, and that, king, and that baby is going to be somebody special. But what, the way prophecy works in the Old Testament um, is there's usually, it's a bit of like a mountain range. You can see uh, everything kind of like at a flat range, but there's actually the closer you get, the more distance there are between the mountains. You know what I'm talking about? So uh, there would have been an immediate application of, oh, okay, so we're going to have a special kid, um, but God's speaking it in a term of, of a long-term pattern. I'm going to fulfill this in a bigger, grander way than you, that you could possibly see right now. And so when we read Old Testament prophecy, we have to recognize there's an immediate application for them at the time. They would have understood, okay, we're going to have a king, who's going to do something special, but God's saying if, uh, there's a grander, bigger range of mountains here than what you could possibly imagine here. So the first one, he says, Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And then just a few chapters later, can we pick up there? Isaiah 9, 6 or 7, this is going to sound really familiar to you for a Christmas verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Remember, so there's that king language. 
And, we sh- and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the increase of his government, and, the, and of the end of peace there will be no end. Let's see, there's a, and the throne of David and over his kingdom and to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here we have, so we have one promise in Isaiah 7 and then another one in Isaiah 9. We're getting this picture, this mountain range of what God's special son's going to do. And then we're going to pick up verse 11. We'll stop with this one. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Remember how we read in this genealogy, son of Jesse, right? So it's kind of pulling all these things together. And the, this clearly a son because it's a, how do you have a, a stump and a, it's something coming out of a person? It, it means a son. And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord. Hey, did you guys remember, remember saying how we're talking about the Holy Spirit here in this passage? Conceiving the whole, conceiving Jesus, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So here we have like this picture from Isaiah, right? He's saying all these things, like here's what the son is going to be like. And as we read in this genealogy, uh, those kings did not add up. They, they kind of got it, and then they fell away. But God's saying, no, that this is the big picture of what my son's going to do. He's going to be, the spirit. my spirit's going to rest upon him. He is going to be wise and just and good. And he is going to be totally uh, peaceful and just. He is going to wield a sword with his mouth, and he will be a king forever. And so when the Spirit dwells, rests upon Mary, and she conceives Jesus, it's fulfilling this picture, this grand picture of who Jesus is promised to be. A, con- a son uh, that is entirely different than what they expected to save. Now, you might be thinking, I, I don't know if you've thought about this, but why does it have to be a virgin birth? Right? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what's the deal? Like, why is it, is that because sex is bad? Like, that's not, that's not what's in view here. Uh, that's not the picture of what is uh, going on. Actually, there's kind of two reasons of why, why God, prom- we can take that down, why God promises a virgin birth. The first one is that it's, it's a total sovereign act of God. This is, we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a son I have, I'm going to, the, the son of God is going to take on a human, human body and he's going to be totally flesh and total, total man and total God, but it's going to be all my doing, no help from you, right? That's how salvation works, right? We don't have, we don't have any part to play. God comes in and saves us. That's how it works. And God does that with his son. So it's a total sovereign act of God where he does it totally on his own. And the second part is that, remember how we've been talking about last week, we saw the Genesis language here, right? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ in verse 1, that, that word is Genesis. And then verse, verse 18, the birth of Jesus, now the birth of Jesus Christ, that's also Genesis. So the very beginning, the, the, the creation account is in view here. And what happens in the creation account? The spirit rests upon the waters and the new earth comes out of it and its king and queen rest there. So when God says, I'm going to a virgin birth, the reason that's so essential to the Christian faith, that's why it's part of the Apostles' Creed, right? To be a Christian means you have to confess that and believe that God was, that Jesus was born of a virgin is because God is creating a new Adam, right? A new man, right? It is, 
new creation. We're, we're starting over. We're starting new. We're, we're redeeming the old. So that's why he's giving a son through Mary. But he's giving a new son. So I, my, I'm dropping into the, the kind of deep deeps of the incarnation. If you ever wonder why the early church really dwelled on the on the Trinity and the incarnation, it's because they're really deep and they're a part of the central of the faith, and they're kind of challenging to understand. But at the heart of this, God is starting something new. This is the new Adam who's going to obey in our place, and he's going to be good, and he's going to be a just king. And it's not exactly what we expected. <laughs> right? When you look at the Old Testament, you're thinking, okay, if I were writing this story, I'd like a political king because all this political mumbo-jumbo I'd like to get rid of, and I'd like a good king. I'd like him to rest, get, get all the politics in place, all the borders in place. Everybody's going to do the right thing. Everybody's going to obey money economy. But the way God sends his son is totally different. He sends his son to fulfill all this stuff as total God and total man. And it's totally different, right? The, the, um, this is not the way we would have expected. Actually, uh, funnily, uh, funny enough, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy fans, yes, no? If you're not, you're a bad person. Guardians of the Galaxy, um, Peter Quill, Right, so you have Peter Quill, who is the son of uh, this uh, celestial being and an Earth woman. That's not the way this played out in this in this story. This is a total sovereign act of God, where Jesus is totally pure and totally different than the way we would have expected him to be. The expectations of what we ex- how how God's promises apply in our lives. That's often what's at view here. Right, He dwells among deep promises. When we read God's promises, we expect them to get fulfilled in a certain way. We would have expected God to have done to send his Savior in a totally different way than the way he did. Who would have ever thought God's going to take on flesh and we're going to, he's going to dwell among us as a, as a human body, total human soul, and God himself. God's promises often act the same way. We, they don't, aren't fulfilled in our lives the way we expect them. We say, God, would you heal me? And he heals our souls so that we can bear faithfully under the suffering, the physical affliction. God, would you provide for me? And he gives us faith to trust him for tomorrow's bread and tomorrow's money. But he doesn't always give us the money that we expect. God, would you, would you help me to be faithful? Would you, give, would you, would you heal my spouse? Would you, would you give me uh, the things that I, I want and I need? No, he's fulfilling those promises, but they're not often the way we expect them. He fulfills his goodness to us. He dwells with us. He is good. Among our marriages, our jobs, the stuff of life. But it's not always the way we expect. Right? The way he fulfills his promises is often very different. But it's very, but he's still incredibly good. I don't know if you guys watch uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as a part of your Christmas movies. We do because Father Christmas is in it. But there's this moment where Susan is confronted with the reality that she's meeting, um, she's meeting Aslan, right? And there's this, this line, Aslan is a lion. This is the beaver, Mr. Beaver. The, the lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
God's promises are not often fulfilled in ways that are safe for us. We often have to die to our expectations of what we wanted life to be. But he's still dwelling with us. And he's still good. His promises always are good because they're giving us Jesus and they're giving us God, but they're not always safe in the sense of we have to change. That's where we're going to be looking at the last part of this. He dwells among deep changes in our lives. Verses 24 and 25, do you see? Pick up and we'll end with this with Joseph. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The fascinating part about this is that Joseph's initial response to this whole situation was never wrong, right? He was like, here's what's going down. This is not good. We're going to kind of divorce this quietly. We're going to be merciful about this, and we're going to move on with our lives. Nothing was wrong about that. That was actually like a totally okay thing to do. But then the Spirit comes and opens Joseph's eyes to see, okay, there's a bigger story of what's going on here. And who's at the center of what changes his life? Jesus. The Spirit opens his eyes. Oh, this is is the Son of God, the Messiah, God dwelling with us, our, our King. He is at the center of this, and my life is now kind of put in orbit around him, and then my life decisions, the change that needs to happen in my heart, it makes me take on different decisions. It changes him deeply so that he embraces the self-sacrifice. Remember, all the tension and fear that we talked about, that was not resolved. It was, public perception was still going to be there. All those other dynamics, all the fears of how people would have seen him, still would have been there. But now that the Spirit has come and the Spirit is with him, just like the Spirit is with you and me right now, the decisions that were hard, the decisions that didn't make sense, the Spirit worked in his soul so that he now embraces the self-sacrifice in a different way. Because he now he wants to submit to the Savior who shows up in unexpected ways by dwelling among us. Right, The Spirit's presence is what opened his eyes to see, oh, look, this, is a, this isn't just kind of like some baby that's born is actually a fulfilled promise, right? All the promises that don't seem to come to us the way we want them to have the Spirit open our eyes to see, oh, no, okay, God's working here. I don't see it the way I expected it to, but I, God's working here. I see him active. I'm going to submit to this, and I'm going to, I'm going to embrace what he's doing. Right, the deep change that happened in Joseph, um, right, he was not just... He was not just making any sort of decision. He was actually, uh, as the old hymn goes, right, trust and obey. Right? He was just trusting what God had said, and he was obeying what God had said. It was because of the Spirit's presence to lead him to deep change, and that led to two things, right? Uh, self, uh, led to self-control. Um, right? You see that verse 25, right? But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Right? They were married. They could have been physically intimate, and he chose not to because he was like, this is going to be God's work. And we're going to submit to God's plan here. I just want you just to say to the guys, spirit-filled obedience leads to self-sacrificial masculinity. It's not cashing in on all the rights that you have. It's actually laying all of your rights down for the good of the women and other weak people around you. Embracing self-control only comes from spirit from the Spirit's presence in Joseph's life that centers us on Jesus, right? It's not trying to like earn us, hey, I've been a good guy today. No, it's, it's willful self, 
it's control, and then it also leads to, um, for Joseph, it led to adoption. You see here, verse, end of verse 25, and he called his name Jesus. You realize that Jesus was adopted by Joseph? You ever thought, I'd, I've been thinking about this all week. This has been incredible to me. They hear we talk about, when we talk about the Christian story, and we say we're all adopted to be sons and daughters of the living God. Like that's a part of what it means to be a Christian. That's where we kind of go when we think about adoption. But you realize Jesus' story hinges on him being adopted into Joseph's family. Jesus was not only the Son of God, eternally the Son of the Father, but he was also adopted into a family. Joseph's spirit, uh, deep spirit changed heart led him not only to be merciful to Mary, which was at the beginning of the story, but compassionate in adopting the son. I think for, for us, especially for the guys here, this is going to lead, I think the, the application here is that as God works deep change in us, we're going to be adopting, we're going to be moving towards spirit-led sacrifice, which may mean, in the, in the literal sense of the story, adoption or foster care in our neighborhoods, but it's also going to be taking on, protecting those around us, providing care, providing uh, you know, inconvenient presence for those around us. Financially, of our time, it is self-giving uh, for the good of other people. Right, so I think, I mean, there's an application for men and women here, right, because you have Mary's side of the story here. She, she joyfully submits to God's story, and, as I, and in many ways, um, she's left at great danger for the people around her, and yet she trusts in her God, and she's going to follow him. And at uh, Joseph's story here, we have the, this example for the men, right, of, self, uh, of self-sacrifice, of self-control, right, of no hint of sexual impurity, and then self-giving, of providing for and caring for the women around him, the, the children around him, caring for those in need around him in a way that draws attention to Jesus, right? This whole story is revolving around the rise of the Messiah. Who would have thought that the Messiah would have been a little baby, uh, so vulnerable, adopted into a family causing so much relational drama so that he would come and unexpectedly save us from our sins, save us from ourselves as God dwells among us. That's an incredible story. That here's what God is doing. He dwells among us to change us as we are called to submit to him in his unexpected change in our lives. Let's pray. Father, as you continue to change us, I ask that you would save us from our sins from, by Jesus, even from this last week as we have been unfaithful. You are faithful. And so, Father, as you dwell among us, would you change us by your deep promises from our fears and the tensions of our lives that do not seem to go away so that we would experience deep change. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, 
please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.